Hey, right on. We are, yeah, we're coming to, let's take a peek at the resurrection story here. Let's, re- let's start with reading this, okay? Let's ask the Lord's just blessing upon the word, and then we'll start with chapter 23. Lord, we just thank you uh, again for this amazing day that we have, Lord, that 2,000 years later here, we are celebrating the fact that you are alive, that you're not dead, that death was overcome, that sin was overcome, that, that, uh, the grave was overcome, that the demonic was overcome. Lord, you're victorious. You reign. You rule. You are seated at the right hand of heaven. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the reality, even as we're told this morning, that you are coming again. And so, Lord, I pray that as we just consider the resurrection account today, Lord, that you would bless this time, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would give us uh, ears that hear and eyes that see. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read about the burial of Jesus. It says this in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from a Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in the tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to to the commandment. Now you just read that and there's just so much in there right away, right off the hop. You know, the scripture prophesied that Jesus, the poor, would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. You know, that it would be a tomb that had never uh, been been used. Uh, There's just tons going on in there, but I just want to point out a few things as we start to look at this resurrection account. And it's this, you know, Luke, Luke is a doctor. He is laying out certain details for us really clearly so that we'll grasp them and so that we'll understand them and so that we will believe the account of the resurrection. And so he says this, he tells us the women who had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee also followed from the cross, followed this man, Joseph of Arimathea, to the tomb and they saw where the body of Jesus was laid. They saw the tomb and they saw the body of Jesus put into the tomb and how it was laid. Then Luke tells us they then returned uh, to prepare spices and ointments. We know this, that there wasn't time because of the Passover and the, the crunch and not wanting to be unclean for Passover. They had quickly dealt with the body of Jesus to put it in the tomb. And the plan was this, we'll go back, we'll, we'll give him the proper Jewish burial and the spices and ointments after Passover. And so these women went home to prepare. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. That's what it tells us. Of course, Jewish Sabbath is Saturday. We were all laughing because when we're hanging out with Avi, you just find that you say everything wrong in regards to Hebrew. It's like Shabbat, not Sabbath. And we, we were always like, oh, I'm saying that wrong. Oh, I'm saying that wrong. But anyways, it says here that the, the Jewish Sabbath, uh, they, on that Sabbath they rested. And so we know this, that, that the people were commanded. Six days they were to work. And on the seventh day of the week, the Saturday, was to be a day of rest. So let's pick it up in, verse, in chapter 24. It says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, 
And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what he had happened. I think there's a few key things that I just want us to grab uh, from this account this morning. The first one is this, the reality of Christ's resurrection. The reality of his resurrection. The first thing Luke tells us is about the day of the week. It was the first day of the week, he says, it was Sunday. Now that's why the church is always worshipped, not on the Sabbath Saturday, but we've made Sunday our day of worship. Not the last day of the week Saturday, but the first day of the week Sunday. And we worship on Sunday because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday morning. Luke tells us in his account that it was early in the morning that these women had made their way to the tomb uh, with the spices that they had prepared. And they had seen where the body of Jesus had been laid in that new tomb. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, th that's why, you know, a sunrise service is so awesome on Resurrection Sunday. Because that's the time that these ladies were going to the tomb. And so the other gospels tell us that they were actually packing about 75 pounds of spices and, uh, and, and, and goods where they were, with which they were planning to anoint the body of Jesus. But when they arrived at the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away. Now the gospel accounts, is kind of fun just to cruise through them all and catch little clips of what each writer tells us about uh, this situation. Matthew tells us that it was a large stone. That the stone had been placed there at the request of the Jewish religious leaders and that they had requested that the tomb, the, the tomb be sealed. And so that, that stone was sealed. The seal of Rome was upon it, meaning this, that no one could remove that large stone without the permission of the Romans. Matthew also tells us that the request of the religious leaders included this knowledge that they knew that Jesus had claimed that he was going to rise three days later. So they in particular wanted that tomb sealed and they asked for Roman soldiers, a guard to be set in place of that tomb to ensure that no one would come and deceive anyone to make sure that the body of Jesus was not stolen, to make sure that no one could claim that this man had risen from the dead. So we've got a large stone. We've got a sealed tomb. We've got Roman soldiers there. Mark's gospel tells us that uh, one of the things I love about the, this story is that these, that these women on the way to the tomb were discussing how they were going to move the stone. And, and the verbiage in the original language, does, it, it expresses this idea, not that they just asked the question, I wonder how we're going to move the stone. 
but that they were that that question was dominating their whole discussion on the way to the tomb. That's what they were talking about, saying, "I I don't know how we're going to move the stone. Yeah, I don't know. They're scheming about how they're going to make that happen. So they weren't sure how they were going to do that. But when they arrived, they found that the stone had been rolled away, which is amazing. I mean, you just Think what you would do if you came to a tomb that you expected to be sealed and it was open. Naturally, curiosity would get the better of you and, and you'd look in the tomb and that's exactly what these women did, but they didn't just look. The scripture says that they went right in. You know, it's interesting. In terms of how a Jewish tomb was designed, they were designed this way, that typically you would step into a tomb and there would be a room in the front of it where family members could gather, they could mourn, uh, they could spend time there grieving, and then you would go further into the tomb, straight back into the tomb, and there the bodies would be laid, and typically there would be spots for multiple bodies to be laid. One of the things that's interesting that when you go to the garden tomb is that that tomb doesn't have that particular layout. It's one of the reasons why they argue that that could be the legitimate tomb that Jesus was laid there because rather than having a front room and then a burial room at the back, they have a front room and a burial room to the right. And Mark's gospel says this, that when they entered the tomb, they looked to the right. I encourage you to go home and, and check it out. And so th that's one of the arguments about the, the reality of, of that tomb. And so here are these women. They, they had seen where Jesus' body had lay, been laid. They had seen the tomb rolled in front of the stone. And, and they arrive and they discover all of this has changed. So they've come to anoint the body of Jesus. They did not find what they were expecting whatsoever. Now, it's interesting that in, in Luke's account, this is the first time, it's in verse 3, that Jesus is ever called the Lord Jesus in the scriptures. He's called Lord. It's at the discovery of his resurrection. Because the resurrection is totally key to understanding the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the, the thing that was that these women did not know that they had, what they had come across was the resurrection. All they knew was Friday morning, uh, his body was safe in the tomb and now on Sunday morning it was gone and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And verse 4 tells us that they were perplexed about this. They were confused. They were wondering. And I'll say, I mean, you just think about that. You just think about expecting to find the lifeless body of your teacher, your master, your Lord. And it's not there. He's not there. Have you ever, you ever lose something? And the perplexity that comes with like losing something, you're like, but I placed it right there. Maybe you guys don't do this. I do this a lot. But I placed it right there. Someone took it, you know, and then I start to interrogate my kids typically. You know, who's got this? You know, who took this? I placed this here, I swear. And, and you, you don't want to sound too crazy, but the longer something's missing that you're looking for, the more suspects there are. Do you ever feel that way? And I always know that I'm in bad shape when I start to question the dog. Did you take my keys? So imagine this body goes missing, and this is serious in terms of losing something, wouldn't you say? And, and, and the thing is, is 
that you, this isn't just one person that placed this body in the tomb. We've got multiple women here who have all seen the body placed and now the body is missing. They knew exactly where it was. There is no question. There is no uncertainty. Luke wants us to know that. They followed Joseph of Arimathea right there. There's no chance they've got it wrong. It's just gone. The body's gone. So they're totally perplexed and at a loss. And you could question, you know, and I think it's a, it's a proper thing to do when we consider the resurrection is to consider, well, well, who could have taken the body? What could have happened? Who could have removed the body from the tomb? Could it have been the priests and the scribes? I would say no. The priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, they were his enemies. The best thing for their cause and for their battle against Jesus is that his body stay right in the tomb where it belonged. Then they could just make it clear. He wasn't, they could disprove the idea of the resurrection and his claim that he'd been raised from the dead. So I, I wasn't those guys. How about the disciples? Could it have been them to remove uh, the body as the old rumor goes? I would say this. No. Those guys were freaked out of their wits, too scared, too frightened to try anything like that. I mean, at this point, when you read about them in the Gospels, we see them as dejected and demoralized and downhearted men who I don't believe could even imagine up such a dream or a scheme to their benefit, to just go in there and steal um, the body of Jesus, I mean, the, the reality is this, is that there was nothing to gain for them but a world of hurt by doing so. It's, it's like suggesting that they said, let's steal the body, let's, let's lie about it, and spend the rest of our lives preaching the name of Jesus and his gospel, suffering for it, suffering for his name, and dying as martyrs. Because we know the accounts of them, what history says. Every one of these guys, these 11, minus John, died as a martyr for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, they're not just, you do the math, it doesn't add up. They're not going to go steal that body and spend their life doing that. It's not happening. And so, the body's just gone. And the women were perplexed because anything that they were imagining was not adding up until Luke tells us two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Dazzling apparel. That's quite the description, isn't it? It's like, I'd never describe anyone as dazzling. You just look dazzling this morning. <laughs> That's not just the way we talk about each other. I mean, it might sound good to say that to your wife, but I don't know. We say different things, but these men are described as being in dazzling apparel. And, and these two men stood by these women in this dazzling apparel. And that means this, is that they were shining with great light. This, these were angels. And we know that by the description, but we also know it because of the reaction of the women. Because what was their reaction? Luke says they were frightened and they bowed down their faces to the ground. Which all throughout scripture we see as a common reaction to an angelic visit. And the angels delivered an astonishing message. He said this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. I love that. Don't you love that? Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels essentially were saying this. You, you have something wrong here. You think Jesus is dead, but Jesus is alive. 
He's, he's not here. He is risen. He is risen. He's alive. Now people question that. They, they, they say, do you really believe that? You know, someone might say that to you. Do you really believe that? You know, a good answer is, well, just prove it wrong. Prove me wrong that Jesus isn't alive. Prove it wrong. You know, the reality is, and the truth is this, is that the skeptics and the deniers have never been able to overturn the reality of the resurrection story. They can't gather the proof or argue it. You cannot prove this story wrong. Did you know that? You cannot prove the resurrection account wrong. I would say this. All you can really do is choose to believe or to deny the account of the resurrection. And so if we want to talk about facts, well, I would say this. The resurrection cannot be disproved. They've been trying for 2,000 years. It's a reality. And if the skeptics had ever been able to overturn the reality of the resurrection, they would have done so a long time ago and we wouldn't be here this morning. And so really, you and I have two choices. You can deny this account that we read in Luke. And then you may as well deny lots of other things like did Caesar ever exist? Was the Holocaust real? You know, you could deny this but then nothing is sure. Or the second choice is this is that you believe the reality of the account. You accept it as true. And in this church, we cling to the reality of the resurrection. This, this man right here, this pastor, I cling to the reality of the resurrection. You know, we remember the cross on, on Good Friday, the cross upon which Jesus was nailed and pierced and, and broken for our transgression and wounded for our sins the cross upon which he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin and the redemption of the world. And, and that cross, that sacrifice is of, of no value whatsoever unless Jesus has been raised from the dead. The whole account of Easter is meaningless unless Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the reality of, of the resurrection is the backbone upon which all of Christianity hangs and upon which our faith in Christ depends. And so our, our faith is founded, I would say this, upon a reality that no skeptic, no cynic, no agnostic has ever been able to disprove. They've tried, but the reality is, is what they do is they just choose not to believe. And see, the, the truth is this, that the payment for your sins has been made by the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as we sang this morning. A lamb. And Jesus made the payment, and the Father accepted his son's sacrifice, and the Father is satisfied. The Father is well pleased with his son. Therefore, he raised him from the dead, never to, be per never to perish again. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.3. He said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He said our, our hope is a living hope because Christ has been raised from the dead. Angel said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And so the angels reminded the women that, that Jesus had told them beforehand that these things would happen. 
their problem was the same problem that the disciples had and it's the problem that you and I sometimes have. And that's this, the failure to remember Christ's words. The failure to remember Christ's words. The the angels who appeared to the women at the tomb reminded them of the Lord's words in Galilee where he foretold of his death and resurrection. He, He told you that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Uh, the angel said, he, he told you that he must be crucified. He told you that he would rise again on the third day. And then Luke tells us, then they remembered, then they remembered his words. Those days in Galilee where they had spent so much time with Jesus around the shores of that lake and those different communities listening to him teach. And it must have seemed like a lifetime ago for them, but they remembered at the words of the angels. Verse 8 says they, they remembered his words. They remembered his word. His word was the missing piece that they had forgot to bring with them to the tomb. His word. They let their emotions get ahead of them. They let disappointment rule their minds. They let fear grip their soul. They let perplexity settle into their spirit. Why? Because they failed to remember his words. They forgot that the Lord says this, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. They forgot that the word of the Lord is upright and that all of his works are done in faithfulness. They forgot that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. They forgot that the scripture tells us that every word of God proves proves true. They forgot that Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They forgot that Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. They forgot that as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to the earth, but, wa- but do not return there, but water the earth, so shall, my, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, does not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it and shall succeed. They forgot that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and that all things were made Through him and without him was not anything made that was made. They forgot that the word became flesh and dwelt among them. See, the resurrection has never ever been in question in the heart and the mind of God. It's always been a reality for him. Because God sent his son, the living word, and he would accomplish the purpose for which he was sent. He, was, he would succeed in the thing the Father sent him to do. And the word of God just simply tells us this, that everyone who would receive him, to those who would believe in his name, he would give them the right to become children of God. They forgot. They failed to remember. And you know, I don't know about you, but I, I have, as a follower of Jesus, I have a pretty dull memory. It's, I think it's a common problem for a lot of us. Common problem for religious people. 
And you know the cure for a poor memory? There's two. Two cures for a poor memory. The first is this. A trip to the empty tomb always helps. That will deepen your love for Christ to meditate on his resurrection and on the empty tomb. You know, we sing so many songs about the resurrection. There's that one song that we, that we sing. It's, uh, the words are this. Look inside this mystery. See the empty tomb. The empty tomb deserves contemplation and meditation. The second thing that helps a poor memory is this, is you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be in the Word. I can't remember. I'll never remember if I don't know it. I can't remember if I don't start my day in the Word of God and receive some manna from heaven. And so as we read here, these, these wonderful, God-fearing, Jesus-loving women at the words of the angel remembered oh yeah he told us all these things already and so they returned and they went to the 11 to tell them uh, what had happened and Luke actually tells us who was there at the tomb he says was Mary Magdalene Joanna Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles and the response of the 11 to these things, well, we, we read it, we read that when they heard it, the words to them seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe. And, and that to me is the amazing thing about this story. It's just my third point this morning is this, the reluctance to believe in Christ's resurrection. When, when the women returned from the tomb and told these things that they had seen and heard from the angels to the disciples. Luke tells us this, that the words seemed to them like idle words and that they did not believe. They did not be believed. Uh, they did not believe. And, and it's kind of shocking to think about it, to consider just the, the unbelief of the disciples. Obviously, they as well had forgotten the words of Jesus not, not only did they forget the words of Jesus, but in spite of these women being very credible witnesses, they did not believe. The story of the woman seemed like nonsense to them. And many believe that about Jesus and his story. They say it's baloney, it's nonsense, it's gibberish. But what I love in this account is this, is the reaction of Peter. Because in spite of words that seem to him like nonsense... In spite of the fact that at that moment he did not believe, he got up and he went to the tomb and he went to investigate for himself. Okay? I don't believe, I don't believe your testimony, but I'm going to go figure this out for myself. That's what Peter did. He ran to the tomb. The witness of the women was enough to stir Peter's curiosity. But he went to the tomb to figure it out for himself. You know, it's a really cool thing when you go to Israel because one of, one of the things I believe God calls us to do when we go there is this, is that, that, that we are, we talked about this in Romans, we're to, we're to cause a, a righteous jealousy in the heart of the Jewish people because they've rejected Jesus. For us to say, Jesus is my Messiah. I worship Jesus. And it was just cool over the time that we were there, just different uh, instances members of our group had to sit with people and to talk with people. You know, Beth had a, just a great story about it with a Jewish girl that she sat with on the airplane ride home. And she said, I've never heard some of these things. And, and we're, we're to stir that. And, and, and so Peter's 
you know, was wondering, what the heck? You know, I'm going to go investigate this for myself. And so he ran to the tomb. And when he arrived, he stooped down and he looked in and he saw the linen cloths that had wrapped the body of Jesus. They were lying there all on their own. The body was gone. The original language expresses this idea that the, the garments were just laying there like the body of Jesus had just disappeared. You know, like when you drop your clothes on the bedroom floor. <laughs> they just lay there. If you just laid them out like you had actually been laying in those clothes and left them there, that's what these clothes look like. It just looked like they'd been left there. The body just disappeared right out of them. The headpiece was folded up, the scripture tells us. But the rest were just like the body had disappeared right out of the garments. The body was gone. Now, if the body of Jesus had been stolen, it would have been pretty unlikely to th that you're going to lay the garments out like that, right? That you're going to lay down these claws and take time to remove the clothes. You're going to just grab that body and you're going to go. You're not going to sort it out with any sense of structure or fashion to it. And so Luke tells us that Peter went, he saw these things, and he left the tomb marveling at what had happened. And, and to me, this tells us this, that, that Peter analyzed the situation. He, he knew something spectacular had happened because of the condition of the grave clothes. But he too had forgotten the words of Jesus. For as yet, John chapter 20 verse 9 tells us this, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Peter saw it all, but he didn't understand. He didn't understand. And I would say this, you know, you can know that Jesus rose from the dead, but unless you know his words, it won't make sense to you. Unless you know the life and teachings of Jesus, you don't know that the resurrection means that the payment that Jesus offered on the cross was perfect and complete. I had a hard time during worship this morning. I had a hard time singing some of the words, man. I was getting emotional. I'm like, oh, brother, this is like, you know, not very manly. I'm going to break down here. And, and I was just thinking, these words are meaningful to me because I know the reality of what the resurrection means. You know, if you don't know the words of Jesus, you, you don't know that the cross was the payment and the empty tomb is the receipt. If you don't know the words of Jesus, then you don't know that death has no hold on a redeemed man or woman. If you don't know the words of Jesus, then you don't know that when God's love and man's hate battled at the cross, Jesus won, the love of God won. If you don't know the words of Jesus, then you, then you don't realize that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be resurrected with him, as the scripture promises. And so when you stop and you just consider this account and, and think about it, the reluctance of the disciples to believe really is one of the strongest pieces of evidence for the fact that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. See, those 11 believing in the resurrection was something that they had to be persuaded to believe. But once they accumulated the facts and once they had met with Jesus, they became so convinced of the reality of the resurrection that they spent their rest of their lives preaching it and proclaiming it and telling people about Jesus until it cost them their very lives. See, the change of mind that they had and the conviction that gripped their hearts is one of the proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
You know, I've told you this story before, but I, I love this story. Maybe you know the name Charles Colson. Uh, Col- Colson served in the Nixon administration during the Watergate scandal, and, and Colson was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He dropped the hammer for Nixon, and, and he really gained his notoriety during that Watergate scandal, and he was named as one of the seven men totally involved in that, and he pled guilty to an obstruction of justice. And because of it, he served uh, uh, a number of months in a federal prison, incarcerated because of Watergate and that scandal. And while he was in prison, uh, Coulson became a believer. He, w- he was, uh, surrendered his life to Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. And at that time, he said this. This is what he said. He said, I know that the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me the apostles could keep that lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You know, think about it. Peter, John, and James and the whole crew, they were convinced in spite of themselves. In spite of the fact that at first they were obstinate, they were bullheaded, They had a stubborn refusal to believe. And in spite of that refusal, they were convinced and they surrendered to Jesus. And that's some of your story too, isn't it? Stubborn, bullheaded, refusing to believe Jesus until the evidence dragged you into the kingdom. Luke's account, what we see is the the reality of Christ's resurrection. The, the, The failure of those who followed him to remember his words and the reluctance to believe that resurrection. And really when, when you work through this, in my mind there's just really one application this morning and I want to give it to you. It's from Romans chapter 10, verse 9, 10. It's going to come up on the screen and it's this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus? Do you believe on the resurrection? Is it the defining factor of your life? May it be that. May it be that. I'm going to invite you, I'm going to invite the worship team to come just up quietly, and as they do, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head, and I I just want to give you that opportunity this morning. You know, maybe... Maybe you've been sitting in the seats here at CTK for lots of years. Maybe you're just a guest here this morning, here for the first time. Maybe somewhere in between. But the reality of the resurrection account is this, is that it has to bring you to this point where you have two choices. The facts are true. It's a reality. You can deny it or you can believe it. And that's the invitation 
of Jesus right there. You can deny it or you can believe it. You know, all those years ago, as I was reading in Acts 2 in my quiet time this morning, I was just struck by it as, as Peter proclaimed these things and he, he, he spoke about the reality that it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. He got to the point where he said this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the scripture says this, that when, when Peter said this, that the people were cut to heart. And Peter said to them, or they said to Peter, well then what do we do? If, if God has made him both Lord and Christ, then what do we do, Peter, at this message? And Peter's response was this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And then he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know, Romans chapter 9 and 10 just tells us that same thing, that there is a need when we are confronted with the reality of the gospel to do this, two things. To repent, that means this, to turn away from something, and then to turn 180 degrees to something else, to, to repent of sin and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's really this, it's a stepping off the throne of your life. We say, Jesus, this stuff that I'm serving has left me empty and void and death is a reality in my life. Confronted with the cross and the reality of your resurrection and your victory over death, I want what you have. And Jesus says, you can have it. You just have to come to me. Repent of your sin and turn in faith to me. And Paul tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so this morning, I just ask that you would uh, just bow your heads with me. And maybe just give your neighbor beside you a bit of privacy and respect because this, this is a moment now where it's not about the person you came with or whoever might be sitting beside you or what others might think. This is a holy moment in which we consider our lives before the Lord Almighty. And he's holding out his hands to us. The scripture says that he stands at the door of our lives, the door of our heart, and he, he knocks. And the Lord would say this to you. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. That means this, we'll have a friendship. I'll come into the, the center of your life, into your heart, and change it and transform it. And so I want to give you just that opportunity this morning. If you'd just like to invite Christ into your life, um, I just ask that you do this so you just get my attention. Maybe you could just raise your hand. Your neighbor's going to respect you. I just want to pray with you this morning and give you that opportunity. And so if you'd just like to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life, you just let me know. I'll just kind of peruse the room. and He's there standing and knocking at the door of your heart.
So God, this morning, we thank you for the reality of the resurrection. Lord, this morning, we remember your words. Remember that you promised these things would happen. You would be seized by men and you would be crucified and you would die and you would be buried, but then on the third day you would rise. Lord, we remember your words. And this morning, God, in this room, we're not reluctant. We believe in you, Jesus. We believe in your resurrection. Lord, we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. Would you just say that to him this morning? Jesus, you are Lord. We believe in you in our hearts, Lord. It's a common rule, Lord. We thank you for just Easter, Lord, and this season and the truth of what it means for us. God, I just give you glory this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.